Good morning, Twitter. I'm Saeed Jones. He is Isaac Fitzgerald. It is Monday and a hell of a Monday, mm. and you're watching AM to DM. Okay, let's start with The Incredibles. We've got a lot to get through, y'all. Okay, let's talk about The Incredibles. We saw The Incredibles 2 on Friday. We left the, we, as soon as we walked out of the office, went straight to the movie theater. And it was wonderful. It's really great. I like to walk <laughs> into movies with like a low bar, like yeah. low expectations. I kept being like, this is going to be so good. And Isaac was like, stop, stop. You're getting my hopes up. But it, hopes up. but it lived up to the hype. It's wonderful. I, you know, and I rewatched uh, the first film afterwards uh, this weekend. And they're, they, they're both just such strong movies. And I think at this point, it's really hard, I think, to make a great superhero movie. But they pulled it yeah. off. We're inundated seen, with those narratives. We've seen so much, right? Yeah. When Incredibles, the first mm -hmm. one came out, it was 14 years ago. Mm -hmm. It was before all the Marvel stuff. Mm -hmm. But Incredibles 2 really stepped up their game. There's so much action, There's so much, much action. fun. Like, yeah. yeah, like it was like, those choreographed scenes were incredible. Yeah. Uh, you incredible. know, <laughs> It, it happens once you say the title, you start saying incredible a lot. Um, shout out to raccoons. They're having such a moment on the internet. Raccoons are like totally in. No spoilers, <laughs> but, but there is a great, incredible sorry, raccoon. An incredible, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so good. Jack Jack's incredible. I would, one thing I would suggest to people um, is it, 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 it would be good to watch the first movie before you see it, because it picks right up. So right. that would kind of help. It's yeah. like literally moments later and it starts. 14 years have passed here. They have not passed in <laughs> that like, universe. Yeah. And we haven't even talked about Bao. Which, it's like triggering. <laughs> so Bao is like the, the, you know, Pixar likes to do mm -hmm. this. They play the short film before the movie. It's like uh, five minutes long. Yeah. And, you know, because I feel like Coco mm. was great, and then the short film before it was not. And people but this is an incredible short film. Give Dom, Domi Shi the Oscar now. Uh, she's already making history because she's like the first woman to write and direct a short film for Pixar by herself. It's so beautiful. I'm sorry, you said it was what now? Incredible. There Damn it is. <laughs> Seriously, I, like we, they needed, in my opinion, just like a little bit of a longer break uh -huh. between Bao and the start of Incredibles 2 yeah. because we were like holding hands. That being said. Crying. To be fair, it doesn't take much for Isaac and no. I to hold hands and start Don't crying. you take this away from Bao. Don't you take this it away from Bao. It was beautiful. Yeah. It was beautiful. It, and it's just, I don't want to spoil it. It's incredible. It accomplishes, damn it. <laughs> It's fantastic. Um, <laughs> Bao accomplishes more in what, like maybe five minutes than I feel like a lot of feature films do. Yeah, all I'm saying is if you haven't seen it, go see it. But a lot of you have seen it because here's a tweet from BuzzFeed News. Incredibles 2 debuted with an estimated 180 million at the domestic box office, setting a new record for the opening weekend of an animated feature film. I love it. Making that, it's a good, good movie and it's it getting again. the money it deserves. Yeah, okay. I've waited long enough. Let's talk about Beyonce <laughs> and the man that she is married to. Uh, Jesus, you <laughs> tweeted, when you see title exclusive and you got to create JB fan 99999gmail for another login. Which is fair, you I'm know. I'm sick of it. Do I'll you have a title account? I know he doesn't you're because I wrote a lower third for this. You're racist. You need to support title. I'm fed up. I'm, <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> there it is. Wow. Uh -huh. let's, let's just take a moment so we can pause so they can screenshot us. Okay. Thank you. All right. I've had it. Listen, had it. you pay for title? Yes, I do. I like that. I'm the bad guy. Who? You're like the one person. All Beyonce asks of us is our unwavering, constant, and heated devotion. And don't I you question my devotion to Beyonce just because I don't. We nobody to, signed up for we title. We had to play the album uh, this morning in the production meeting so Isaac could hear it. Okay, I watched the video. Okay. I sure did search Beyonce on Apple Music a lot yesterday. Okay. But it, now it is all on every single streaming platform. All on all the platforms. That's right. No excuses anymore. Do you love it? 
I do love it. It's beautiful. I just, I always, I, it's, it's always interesting to see how Beyonce um, exposes another facet of herself. Like, I, mm. her voice is so rich, mm -hmm. um, and there's just all of these qualities that, you know, I haven't, like, gotten to hear from her before. Also, she's an incredible rapper. Beyonce has succeeded in putting out a better rap album than Kanye West this year. And, and I, I can say that without qualification. She spit <laughs> bars. I will also bars. say, just listen, as a Jay-Z fan, it's nice to see him kind of support her, not overshadow, mm -hmm. do all the right things. Yeah. And you get to listen to Jay-Z and yeah. feel good about he's it for the first time in a while. He's sitting there eating his food the whole album because he's like kind of doing features. <laughs> he's, so. he's just like, and, and I'm out. But let's talk about that video, all right? Heidi Herrera had this to say, y'all, this ape shit video has me losing my shit. This moment right here is so the fulfillment good. of my art history degree. Beyonce's vision and talent is unmatched. Stay tuned for some thoughts. It, look at... I mean, it, it was a moment. That dress? The Louvre! Work the Louvre, mm. darling. Work the Louvre. We're not hanging in the back anymore. Uh, that tweet was the first in a thread about how art history figures into the apeshit video in such a powerful way. Heidi joins us now. Good morning. Heidi, can you hear us? Hmm. Heidi... I I have a feeling that Heidi can't hear us right now. Maybe she needs headphones to be plugged in. Oh, maybe. Um, but so she, you read the thread. I read the thread. It was really cool. Yeah, because, I mean, the visuals of, one, just they're in the Louvre. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they're in the most famous Which museum didn't on Earth. leak. <laughs> Think about how incredible that is. I Think about someone, filming yeah. a music video in the Louvre yeah. and not having that leak. I saw someone say that um, Beyonce has a better legal team than the president, which, hard to argue. <laughs> It's just, hard to argue. Yeah. Also, yeah, so apparently they filmed it like a month ago. Okay. Um, That's why they weren't at the Met Gala. The Met. This is their definition of a vacation. Uh-huh. Ain't no damn vacation. Just making history. Incredible. But yeah, seeing them there and like um, having Beyonce particular like in formation with the dancers in front of the, the coronation mm -hmm. um, of Napoleon and Josephine. Yeah, you better get that art history site. Um, was really powerful because, the, you know, Napoleon was notorious for colonizing and just ransacking um, so many African cultures and countries, and that's how all that art, a lot of that Egyptian art, made it into the Louvre. Yeah. So to have Jay-Z and Beyonce standing in front of, you know, those Egyptian artifacts in particular. One of the things that I saw a lot of was, uh, it's, it's one of my favorite things, that mm -hmm. photoshopped Mona Lisa, oh. but she didn't have any hair, <laughs> and it was just like, Mona Lisa got her wig snatched! <laughs> Mona Lisa balls in the Louvre! I mean, it's not in the video, but uh, you know, you so are having some fun. All right, I think we have Heidi now. Heidi, can you hear us this morning? Hi. Hi, thanks for joining us. Oh, I love your living room, very, very bright. Okay, so we wanted to start with this. Do you have a vi favorite visual moment in, in the video? Um, let me think. I am kind of obsessed with um, Beyonce and the Burberry leggings dancing in front of the um, crowning of Josephine, that Napoleon portrait. Um, I just think it's really awesome. <laughs> It was like a really nice moment to see. Yeah. I gotta ask though, uh, where did you get your art history degree and how did that really help you parse out this entire video? Yeah, I got my undergrad at um, Brigham Young University. I'm gonna be starting my graduate degree at UC Davis in the fall. Um, I am kind of obsessed with everything post 19th century. So that's like 1800 on. Um, and a lot of that art um, is at the beginning uh, or at the end of the 18th century, beginning of 19th century. So I kind of like, really love that period. Um, I had a professor who was um, really big on that period of art and I 
developed a really great love for it. So I love it. Well, you know, we're not art historians, um, but you know, we know like being in the Louvre is a big deal. Um, but I wonder if you could just kind of speak a bit to the significance of like what they've accomplished with this video. Yeah. Um, so the Louvre has historically been a very white space. Like uh, most of the artists who are featured there are white males. Um, there hasn't had there like are very few female painters who have been included in the Louvre. Um, and historically, most representations of people of color has been portraying them as exotic or um, as less than human. Um, so to t retake that space, um, they're presenting black bodies and black art, and they're bringing like popular culture, um, which is often kind of looked down on by academics, um, and really making it um they're showing that this is real art like this is the current art and they're relating it back to um art history so back to those pieces and showing that um look we are here this is our presence this is our history um and they're recognizing the fact that this is how um black um individuals have often been portrayed in the history of art and they're recognizing their history and how far they've been able to come um, despite all the oppression that they face historically and currently, which I think they speak to a lot in the video. Yeah, which they speak to a lot in the video. Heidi, real quick before we let you go, I wanna ask, you mentioned your professor, is he gonna let you like teach a class on this after your thread went viral? Cause you sure. deserve. <laughs> it's a she and- Oh, you better work, Heidi. <laughs> yes, Heidi. <laughs> So um, I really hope so. I'm going to be able to teach classes in the fall. Um, so I'm hoping I'll be able to speak to it a bit. I've written a lot of papers on Beyonce and a few other popular culture figures. So I hope to be able to do more of that in the future. I love it, Heidi. Uh, you just made my morning. So thank you for that. And, and honestly, thank you for the thread. It was so cool. Thank you. I'm glad you guys enjoyed it. I just wanted to express what I love. I was actually out of the country. So I wrote it for my best friend so he could read it. Um, because I couldn't exactly like tell him everything I thought. So it just was kind of a surprise that this all happened. <laughs> oh, cool. All right. Well, have a great morning, Heidi. Thank you. You too. Bye-bye. Heidi stays educating men, <laughs> educating me, educating her friend. Which you need. Yeah, which I need. <laughs> all right. Well, let's take it to the timeline. Now that they've conquered the Louvre, where should Beyonce and Jay shoot their next video? Let us know using the hashtag aim to DM. Uh, I think they should shoot it on my grave because I just got put there by Heidi. Uh, yeah. Or the moon. Or the moon. Or the moon. Fall asleep. I think in terms of, you know, spaces where their blackness radicalizes the space, right? Just the fact of them being there in that context it creates or reconfigures, I guess the White House, right? Seeing Jay-Z and Beyonce like in the Oval Office, just standing there doing nothing would be an incredibly powerful moment. Yeah, man, dream a dream. Well, let's turn to the biggest story this weekend and this morning, I can't stop thinking about this, immigration and separated migrant families. Here's a quote from photographer John Moore tweeted by Tim Fanning. As a father myself, it was very difficult for me to see these families detained, knowing that they would soon be split up. I could see on their faces that they had no idea what was about to happen. And gosh, that photo. Yeah, that photo. John Moore captured the iconic image of a two-year-old asylum seeker being taken into custody near the border that has since gone viral. He said he was overcome with emotion after taking the photograph. And I feel like a lot of us are feeling a lot of emotion this morning throughout the weekend. It's a horrifying story. And the more that comes out, the more 
terrible images, stories, everything that's happening in these families is hitting people really, really hard. It's also confusing. I feel like there is, frankly, a lot of misinformation, mm -hmm. intentional or unintentional, mm -hmm. from the administration, from ICE and Homeland Security. So it's also difficult to parse, you know, exactly what is going on. And you have a lot of people that want to take action. I saw just on my Facebook timeline, um, somebody was trying to raise money. They're like, maybe we can pay like bails to get parents out of prison. They started trying to fundraise for a thousand five hundred dollars. It has since cleared a million wow. in less than twenty four hours. So people are feeling a lot of feelings and really feeling helpless and or wanting to take action. A real sense of peril. I mean, I think you know, I I, I recognize like trying not to get overly you know worked up about things and and jumping to conclusions, but you know. I'm starting to see a lot of disturbing historic parallels to mm -hmm. what's going on and mm -hmm. the way the government talks about it and the way people um, are behaving. So uh, let's get into it. Here's a tweet from CBS News that I saw and my jaw dropped. Um, this just in from David Bernard. Uh, Border Patrol has reached out to CBS Morning because they were there on the ground with Gail King um, and said that they are, quote, very uncomfortable with the use of the word cages. They say it's not inaccurate and added that they may be cages, but people are not being treated like animals. Let's, okay, so... they may be they're cages. cages. They're like, no, they're definitely not in cages. treating people right. like animals. Which is, That's the official statement. Yeah, and it's like, you're a governmental organization. Like, you feeling uncomfortable as an entity is totally beside the point. If they, if it was, if they were not cages, if that's not accurate, that's totally different. But you're saying, no, they're cages, but like, don't, don't be so mean And do you, you know who's feeling it. uncomfortable? A child that can't look at their mother or their father and ask what is going on. It's, it's ludicrous and disturbing. Well, Hayes Brown has been covering and trying to provide clarity amidst all this confusion. Good morning, Hayes. He joins us now. Good morning, guys. Hey there. Okay, so Kirsten Nielsen uh, tweeted that there is not a policy for separating families at the border, period, she added, but families are literally being separated. So what do we know about the policy? Okay, so what she's saying is an extreme parsing of the situation. The policy in place it came down from Attorney General Jeff Sessions back in April. It's called his zero tolerance policy. It used to be that if you came to the border, uh, crossed it illegally, then Basically, if you had a child, it was almost like uh, you would be held with a child and then deported very quickly instead of facing the misdemeanor charge, which it is. Now, under the zero tolerance policy, the adults are being held by U.S. Marshals while they await the misdemeanor charge. And the kids are being put into these facilities that we're seeing pictures of coming out uh, and just these horrifyingly sad pictures as the parents and kids are split. So she's writing that there's no official policy that says the kids have to be separated. They are carrying out the zero tolerance policy and since the kids can't be in jail with their parents, the kids have to go somewhere else. Do we know anything about the effect this is having on these children? Uh, according to medical professionals, it's a terribly detrimental effect to them. It hurts their development, their psychology. I mean. You are a child who has been taken away from your parents. You don't speak the language in theory. Uh, you have no idea where they are. And there's two numbers that really need to keep in mind here, 11,000 and 2,000. 11,000 is the total number of unaccompanied minors in these facilities around uh, the country. They have a bunch of different reasons for being without their parents. Uh, some of them came to the border way back in 2014 during the Obama administration. Uh, they've struggled with how to deal with this influx of kids. But the 2,000 is the kids who have been separated from their parents just in the last six weeks, between April and the end of May, when the policy uh, was first kicking off. 2,000 kids separated from their parents in that time. 
Hey, so I was also wondering if you could speak to, you know, the misinformation and, and hoaxes that are kind of traveling around, because it is confusing, right? Photos that are perhaps taken mm -hmm. out of context, for example. Yeah, for sure. There are a lot of photos out there that uh, could be seen. Uh, one was there was a child who was gripping onto a chain link fence uh, crying that is circulated as this is one of the kids in the cages that ICE is uh, put up. No, that kid was at a demonstration. And it's really easy to see these very like raw emotional images and not take the time to figure out what the exact context is behind them. You also see a lot of pictures from the 2014 crisis that I mentioned, uh, when there really were kids coming to the border without anyone. And uh, the administration had then had to figure out where to hold them, what to do with them, how to figure out, should they be led into the country? Should they go into foster care? And it's those kids that, if you remember back in late May, early June, there were reports that the government lost a bunch of kids. And uh, that was from that round of unaccompanied minors coming to the United States. They got sent off to sponsors and uh, about, a, I believe, a thousand of them just they could not figure out where they were after some time when they were checking in. All right. Well, Hayes, thank you so much for helping us kind of clarify this story and, uh, and look into it this morning. No problem, guys. Absolutely. We have a tweet here from Nichelle, and she just says, this is horrific, um, and I absolutely agree. And I think a lot of people feel that way. Yeah, and so that's why we're devoting more attention to it this morning, and we're going to continue to do so. So now we're going to go live from the district um, as we continue our discussion of separated families at the border with BuzzFeed News Capitol Hill reporter Paul McLeod. Paul, good morning. Hi, good morning, guys. Thanks for joining us. Let's start with this tweet from Laura Bush. I live in a border state. I appreciate the need to enforce and protect our international boundaries, but this zero tolerance policy is cruel. It is immoral and it breaks my heart. Paul, how significant is it that a former first lady, Laura Bush, has come out against this policy? Yeah, well, I mean, one heartfelt op-ed from Laura Bush isn't going to exactly shake up the nation, but it is interesting because it seems to add fuel to this fire of people coming out across the political spectrum against this policy. We're seeing more and more conservative voices criticize the Trump administration for separating ch children from their families. And on the other side of the ledger, you're not seeing a lot of support for it. You're not seeing a lot of the, the loud voices of Re Republican Trump supporters that are usually standing by him through every policy debate. Uh, it's been very muted. And in fact, it's been the opposite. We've seen a lot of Republican politicians come out and say, you know, look, I can't, I can't get behind this. I, I, they've lost me on this one. Yeah. Paul, something that stuck out to me um, this morning in particular, like just 24 minutes ago, Trump tweeted, it is the Democrats' fault for being weak and ineffective with border security. And it, he's, uh, he seems to consistently be pinning this on the Democrats. And, and so I just wanted to ask, what responsibility, if any, does the Democratic Party kind of bear for what's happening at the border right now? So for this current crisis, what we are talking about, the 2,000 children who have been separated in recent weeks from their families, this is a result of a zero-tolerance policy put in place by the Trump administration where they're referring every illegal immigrant that they catch through the criminal justice system, which means they are separated from their kids because you can't send kids to jail. That is 100% a policy decision of the Trump administration. The Democrats don't have any power and don't have any... Some children walking by as I'm doing this hit. Uh, and, and they don't have any power to stop that. Now, uh, I saw even just moments ago before we were going live, uh, uh, Trump tweeting about how the, you know we need to change the laws. And it increasingly seems clear that what 
Trump is also trying to get across is that, well, the Democrats are partly responsible because they won't fund my border wall and they won't sign a bill that gives me $25 billion to, to build the wall. And so the administration is saying, we're going to keep separating these children until to, to sort of put leverage on Congress. So we're going to keep ripping these families apart until you give me my wall. I, I've got to ask, I mean, Trump himself, it seems like it's a very unpopular uh, policy. Are there going to be ramifications for Republicans that do come out against it? And, and I'm asking this because, like, even Melania has gone on the record saying she does not approve of what's happening at the border. Yeah, it, it's interesting because in other ways, Trump really should be at the height of his powers right now within the party. We've just seen a bunch of people who stood up to Trump uh, lose their <clears throat> their nominations and their primaries. And Trump right now should be the last person you would want to cross if you're a Republican. And in fact, it's quite the opposite. We're seeing more and more people come out against this because it's just such a toxic policy, such an inherently, it draws such an inherent visceral reaction from people that I think uh, people are terrified of just losing elections. And, you know, and they're also human beings. And I think a lot of people are just having their own moral issues with this, where it's just a bridge too far, and they're not going to follow the president on this one. Um, I also wanted to ask, so the president is um, expected to have a meeting tomorrow with Republican lawmakers, presumably about immigration. Do we know anything about that meeting and, and the agenda for it? Okay, so this has been a little bit funny over the last few days because the House GOP has a bill. It's an immigration and border wall and DACA bill. And uh, initially Trump came out opposed to it when he when he heard it was a moderate bill. Uh, and then when the facts came out and it was turned out to be actually pretty conservative, he flopped and uh, on Saturday it was came out saying he's actually in support of this bill. Friday came and he actually does support it. So tomorrow they're going to be making the pitch to him, trying to get Trump on board and get two of the three pillars needed the third being the Senate, to actually pass this bill. I can just give you a spoiler alert. That's not going to happen. This bill is extremely conservative. It makes massive cuts to the legal immigration streams. Uh, it has a very stingy way of handling DACA recipients. There's no way I can see any Democrat voting for this. But tomorrow, what they're going to be trying to do is get Trump on side with us. All right, so you gave us the spoiler alert that it's not going to pass. What's the next step after that? Is there going to be movement on this or on DACA or on anything? We've been talking about immigration for so long now. No, I mean, the Trump administration at any point can reverse this policy, the zero tolerance policy, and they can end the this this wave of children being separated from their families, which they might do. They might have to just bend the pressure, especially if more people in their own party come out against them. Beyond that, I, I would be stunned if we see any fix to DACA before the midterms, if we see any broader immigration bill. And what's so troubling about that is the only reason we have these hundreds of thousands of people, the, the DACA kids, who are able to live here is because of court injunctions. And those will run out. The Supreme Supreme Court will hear this. Could be as late as early this year. I've heard it's more likely it'll be sort of early to mid, or sorry, late this year. I heard it more likely early to mid next year. And at that point, we're going to have hundreds of thousands of people who will lose their ability to legally live and work in this country. And if Congress doesn't act before then, then these people are completely screwed. And there is just no sign right now that Congress is going to be able to get anything together to pass any bill before then. It's heartbreaking to see the real-time consequences of the government's inaction. Well, um, Paul, hard answers, but thank you for joining us this morning as always. Thanks, guys. All right, later this morning, I sit down with Jada Pinkett-Smith. Mm. Um, I'm excited for you guys to see that conversation. And tomorrow, Imagine Dragons' Dan Reynolds joins Isaac. I have a lot of questions about dragons. <laughs> I'm going to ask him a lot of questions about dragons. <laughs> come on, I like that song, too. Sure Thunder the and the lightning. Anyway, when we come back, it's time for fire. Ooh, <laughs> dragons, fire.
having a rough morning. Yeah, you, I mean, it's, I like that you said it as if you had nothing to do with it. <laughs> Call me racist on the show. Good title, it won't change my opinion. Anyway, here's a good tweet from Jason uh, that really, frankly, sums up many of our mornings on AM to DM. AM to DM is going to be weird as hell today because they're probably going to be like, we stand the Carters, but also there are children in cages. That was our life this morning. And we do stand the Carters, and there are children in cages. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's I'm laughing at the absurdity, frankly, of the news, because that, ha at this point, is all I can do to keep from freaking out. We also it's talk so about horrible. this all the time. The show reflects the timeline. Yeah. The show reflects the timeline, and that was the timeline this weekend. It was new Beyonce album, Holy Shit, Children in Cages. Yeah. Sometimes I think I, maybe I'm better for like learning how to acquire all of this different you know, tones and everything, or worse. It's hard to tell. Anyway, let's get into these fire tweets. Let's do it. Let's you go. ready? Let's go. Brilliant villain, you tweeted, ever since I found out cats don't meow to other cats, that's just some shit they learn to manipulate humans, and meows are supposed to mimic infant human cries. I'm noticing a lot of fake shit about my cats. I told yes, you. Yes, cats are scammers. Yeah. I, they're scammers. I don't trust them. It's not because I don't like them. I feel that they're too smart to be pets, which... You know. Would you? You're afraid of robots, but I'm like, you need to be afraid of cats. Are you a cat or a dog person? I'm very much a dog person. Really? Very much a dog person. I also, can kind of see you with like a Siamese. Well, you wouldn't because I'm allergic to cats also. Oh, I did not know <laughs> I get that. really, really itchy and eventually I get a head cold. I per like, you would think I'm a dog person. Mm -hmm. I myself, much like a dog, like a little puppy, but I like cats. They take care of themselves. Uh, I Actually probably explains my friendship with you yeah, too. Exactly. You a cat person. This next tweet comes from Tracy Clay. <laughs> Why are we always pardoning our puns? Like, that shit was funny, bitch. Laugh. Uh-huh, don't apologize for the pun. Put it on my gravestone. <laughs> All right, I'm sorry. Puns are funny. You don't have to be like, oh, I'm sorry for the pun or pun not intended. Man, puns are funny. Pun intended, bitch. <laughs> You've really done a 180 on I've puns. Wrong. And yeah, I really like I it. Know. I really Shit's like rough it. out there. I gotta find reasons to laugh. Find reasons to laugh. Duke Latham, you tweeted, Fuck, I love when an email finds me well. Now this, mm, tweet, that's just simple. That's a beautiful, simple tweet. Isaac loves that tweet mm. so much. And I just hope this email finds you well. <laughs> I love it when an email finds me well. That's beautiful, Ridiculous. Duke. Keep it up. Also, ooh, your image. All right. Oh, all right. Okay, that the, is quite an avatar. The all, the right. all right. <laughs> We just noticed that. Okay, this comes from Sarah Cannonberg. Um, accidentally jeweled in front of my mom, but she only saw the smoke and goes, what was that? So I immediately said, oh my God, you saw that too? And now I have to spend the rest of my life pretending my house is haunted. <laughs> <laughs> Sarah, girl, what are you doing? I like it. What are you doing, I Sarah? like it. Just making oh, Sarah your mom. does look like she's having fun. Yeah, all right. She's out here having fun. She's making her mom believe in ghosts. <laughs> <laughs> That's you so good. You ready for your tweet of the day? No, but come on, let's, let's do it. it. All right. Tweet of the day is from Grace. My mom used to watch Jeopardy early on diff a different city's channel so that when she would watch it with my dad later, she'd know all the answers. She still never told him, so he's been under the impression that she's a genius this whole time. To which I say, she is a genius. She is a genius. That's really smart. That's, <laughs> That's really clever. <laughs> another good scam. I could see you doing that too, actually. I really could see just being like, oh, I know all the answers. Just it. Watched it half an and hour also, I, I also think it's very sweet because it implies that she knows her husband is invested in it. You know, it's like, I'm here for it. Wow. Shout out to you, you, Grace. You really found the love in I that. really like it. It's really sweet. It's, mm. Love is a scam. And this is a lovely scam. All right. Anyway, coming up. <laughs>
I'll take our next guest for 400, Alex, who is Jada Pinkett Smith. Ooh, you made I a little Jeopardy joke? That, that was. You just got it. I just got it. You just I'm got not it. I'm pretend that I am. I like it. Totally scripted. I'll take Saeed as a bad person for 500. <laughs> of venture capital went to women founders, and the statistics are even worse when it comes to women of color. This is Ladies Who Lead, and I'm joined by Stephanie Lamkin, who is trying to change that with her company, Blendor. Blendor is a recruiting platform that anonymizes job candidates to remove race and gender from the equation. Stephanie, thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, thanks for having me. So you were inspired to start Blendor after you started applying to jobs and you were told once you were not technical enough for a coding job yeah. or a technical job. Mm -hmm. How did you get from that point of being rejected to where you are now? Well, the company that I was interviewing for, I found out that out of 55,000 employees, they actually had 12 African-American women in technical roles. Wow. And the narrative was, it's a pipeline problem. We just can't find qualified women and people of color. And here I was with both a Stanford and MIT degree being told that I was um, you know, not qualified enough. Uh, so yeah, I wanted to create a platform that could sort of debunk that myth and help companies find the talent that they claim doesn't exist. One of the things that you have talked about a lot, which I think is super interesting and inspiring, is that you said your aunt was your role model growing up. She studied computer science. Yes. And so for you growing up, you saw her and you just thought a computer scientist was a woman of color. You didn't know any different. Um, so how has having her example helped you in your field move forward? Yeah, I just don't think I suffer from the same imposter syndrome that unfortunately a lot of women who don't have similar role models do. So when I go into a space, even if it's male dominated, even if I'm the only minority, I don't attribute that to me being less than. And if I fail, I don't attribute that to me being a woman or person of color. Um, and so it just gives me the confidence, I think, to navigate the space and kind of stick around. Something else your company do, which is, does, which is super cool, is you rank tech companies on their diversity. Yes. Uh, so please tell me, what have you found? So um, a surprising number of companies without women and people of color on their board and or executive team. Um, I wanted to give a ranking that sort of went beyond just the diversity numbers and dug into like, okay, what benefits do you have? Maternity leave, childcare assistance, what um, organizations are you partnering with? Uh, so yeah, I was just really to see, really surprised to see such a huge difference um, between like large, older technical companies like um, Microsoft, HP, Intuit versus Facebook, Google. Like the things that they're doing are so, so different. Um, and also the level of representation that they have on their board and executive teams. Can you dig into that a little bit? What's so different about Yeah, so HP has a ton of women and even women of color on their board um, versus I think Facebook just hired a person of color, an African-American man after what, I don't know, Facebook's been around forever. Um, yeah. And then, <laughs> uh, and then there's some companies like... Um, the furniture company, Wayfair, right? They have no women on their board or executive team, last I checked. Um, maybe on their executive team, but um, yeah, and it's like this is probably a company that has predominantly female customers. Yeah, um, that's what I was just gonna say. Yeah. I mean, aren't they catering to women? How can you have that yeah. if you don't have any women it's doing just, um, company? It's just this newer wave of tech post-dot-com boom has sort of considered uh, diversity to be an afterthought. 
Um, and I think it's just a lot of the culture around build, build things and move fast, which is oftentimes hire your roommates and your frat buddies and you know get things done um, versus ensuring that your company reflects the broader population that you are um, trying to get to buy your products and such. Right, right. You mentioned in your TED Talk that a white male who founds a company that fails raises, raises on average $1.3 million, where a black female founded company will raise on average $36,000. Obviously, that's a huge disparity. Uh, what's it like to see men kind of failing up in this industry, and what can we do to kind of change that? Yeah, and I just want to shout out Project Diane for getting those statistics. Um, honestly, I think we just need to create an environment via capital um, to get more women in positions of and of given the give them the ability to create and fail and succeed. Like I don't think we have enough examples of women like Katrina Lake who just IPO'd at Stitch Fix um, and other like really successful exits that sort of send the signal to the market that these are people who can create really amazing things. Yeah, for sure. There is some good news. On Wednesday, Digital Undivided published a report that the number of female, black female-founded startups have, has doubled since 2016, which is obviously great. You know, I think we're making a little bit of progress. Why do you think that is? Um, I think in part from things like that, like, right, the first step is admitting you have a problem and really putting some data behind it. Um, I think also we're just seeing a lot more programs and initiatives through accelerators focused on women's. You have like YC Female Founders Conference, um, a lot more funds, um, a lot more mentorship programs. Um, so I think it's, we're like heading in the right direction in terms of just enablement. Yeah, for sure. So what do you think can be done to make more women who have great ideas succeed? I'm just, I'm big on capital. Capital, capital, capital. Access to money. I think we have a lot of great programs and boot camps that are focused on teaching women the know-how. But the fact of the matter is, there are a lot of Silicon Valley CEOs that just came up with something in their um, dorm room and launched and were successful without any sort of formal training or MBA. Um, so I want to get away from this idea that women need this like remedial help and training to launch a company um, and focus more on how we can give access to capital so that they can um, just put something out there. The best path to success is failure. And so as many fail, the more failed startups you have, the closer you are to really hitting that big, um, that big deal. And truly, like we said, a lot of men have been able to fail yes. multiple times. Yes. <laughs> we hear about it all the time. So much failure. Zero, anyone? <laughs> <laughs> Stephanie, thank you so much for joining yeah, us. Thank you. Up next, Saeed sits down with Jada Pinkett-Smith. My queens. Okay, I am joined by icon, actress, activist, mom, wife, you know, Jada Pinkett Smith. Hello. Hi. Uh, and now host of Red Table Talks, which just incredible. It's on Facebook Watch, and it's just, I've been thinking, it's like an offering. Mm -hmm. You, your mother, and your daughter have given us, you know, sitting at a table in your home, inviting cameras into your home, right. um, and then having conversations about friendship, about loss, parenting, pain. Right. Not easy. No. Not easy. <laughs> Even without the cameras, not right. easy. And so I was just wondering, you know, how did you as a family, as three women, um, so aware, you know, of what it means to be black women in the public, make the decision to offer this um, to us? I think just through everything that all three of us have been mm -hmm. through, being three women that have actually had pretty intense, excruciating journeys of some kind, 
And we really wanted to create a safe space to have real conversation, mm -hmm. especially now in this era of social media where everybody feels like they have to be so perfect, right. you know, and as if no one's going through anything. Mm -hmm. And we're also doing, having so much conversation about what's happening in the outside world and not enough conversation about what's happening within. Mm. And so we just really, the three of us, wanted to create a place for safe space to have more in-depth conversation. Absolutely. So how, so how did you, once you decided, okay, we are going to do this, we're going to do this, how did you kind of prepare? Was there a specific process um, in terms of like, okay, here we go, here are the topics we're going to talk about? Um, yeah. Yeah. Basically, yeah. <laughs> it's like okay, we have ten episodes. Yeah. We just got picked up for thirteen more okay, um, to, to, for the season, mm -hmm. um, and so we, I was just like, okay, what what are some of the topics that you think we should bring up? And mm -hmm. at, at, and for for all three of us, we knew that we needed to start kind of general, okay, just to see like, yeah. are people interested That's in talking about sex? Uh -huh. Are people interested in talking about laws mm -hmm. and how? Mm -hmm. The great thing about being at Facebook Watch is that we have such a strong Red Table Talk community that you get a lot of data fast mm -hmm. about what people are actually interested in talking about. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's been really good. So we've learned a lot in this. We've only aired six so mm -hmm. far, so. Yeah, and I feel that. I mean, like, like, you know, being a live Twitter show, it's absolutely, it's nice to, that the audience is a part of the conversation and you can right. like, like, oh, people are really into talking about how do you find a therapist? So let's, right. let's talk about it more. So absolutely. that's similar for you guys? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, were there topics that you were aware that you were anxious about? Like you wanted to talk about it, but you were like, okay. Um, we haven't really come up on that yet. Okay. Yeah, we haven't come up on that yet, but I'm sure that'll come. <laughs> I mean, I, mean I, I, feel, I think it's fair to say, you know, people think of you and, and your daughter, you know, in particular, being very open, very mm -hmm. open women. So, right. you know, there's a, a fearlessness, I think, I feel like. Definitely. Yeah. And, um, you know, for, for Willow and I both, we love to share our journeys and we love to have people come on the journey mm -hmm. with us. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, we feel as though as women, mm -hmm. um, it's important to commune in that way, mm -hmm. so. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I was really moved, uh, you know, about the conversation and the way you and Willow and, and your mother, Adrienne, talked about sex. Yeah. Because, <laughs> I mean, and we're gonna keep saying this, there's so right. many families who like, cameras off, you know, right. no one's around, never have these conversations. <laughs> No. You know, or or until you know, serious. Until it's like maybe serious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So just having it in this way, and I, I just wondered what 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 was it like? What did it feel like having that conversation, not just with your daughter, but with your mother? I think with my mother, it was a bit more like Willow and I talk like that mm -hmm. all the time. Okay, so y'all are just like this is just <laughs> yeah, us. We're just you know, it's just, okay. you know. <laughs> but of course, doing it on camera uh -huh. has that extra element. Yeah, you know, yeah. like oh snap. Um, but it was my mother. Mm -hmm. My mother is really from an old school where okay. it's just like, you don't talk about that. Mm -hmm. And if you do talk about it, it is um, don't get pregnant, uh, abstain as long as you can, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Boys are dirty. Yeah. So, <laughs> wedding you know, ring. Right? Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Okay. Until you get a wedding ring, boys are dirty. So, um, so with her, it was mm -hmm. really interesting mm -hmm. what she was willing to talk about, not willing to talk about, and just really having to navigate the conversation around a comfort zone for yeah. her. Yeah. yeah. 
And, and how did you do that? Because I mean, that, that's an, you know, in that moment, you kind of you can, shift. Right, she's my mother, so <laughs> like, I can tell when she gives yeah, me that look, uh, like, like uh, shut uh, it down. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's, just, it's as simple as that. Shut it down. I love it, I love yeah. it. Well, what advice would you have for parents? I mean, because it is, I, I love that you say you and Willow, it's an ongoing conversation, yeah. you know? Um, everyone, it's not so easy. So, you know, and, and you know, as a, as a gay man, you know, right. just talking about, you know, it's one thing to come out to your parents, it's another thing to talk about sex as a queer kid with yes, your parents, right? Yes. So do, do you have advice for families about how to have that everyday conversation? I mean, I, I would just say what worked for, for me in mm -hmm. regards to, to Willow and Jaden was just being very relaxed about mm. it. Instead of making it seem like it was such, you know, oh my goodness. Right, right. You know, it was just like, hey, so starting it off about, well, what do you know? Mm -hmm. And how do you feel about it? Mm -hmm. And where, you know, and so, um, and not trying to create all this tension and seriousness around it. It's like it's a natural thing, mm -hmm. you know, and really being open enough to hear their real thoughts mm -hmm. about what sexuality means to them and, and what they're thinking about in different stages that they might be going through um, earlier on. And so just really trying to create more of a relaxed approach. Okay instead of from an approach of fear. Okay. I think most parents, we feel as though if we don't talk about our sex with our kids, then they just won't deal with it. Mm. And that's not true. That's not true. You yeah. know, so I feel as though um, the more re relaxed we can be in just having casual conversations mm. about getting information first and then understanding what how we might need to fill those gaps. I mean, I I got them sex classes on all the STDs. I actually had an expert come in. Okay, all I right. <laughs> Show pictures, you okay. know, because I wanted them to have the full, uh -huh. listen, this is uh -huh. what's happening. Yeah. You guys are about to be teenagers. Yeah. This was early on. You guys are about to be teenagers. Right. You're gonna have a formal sex education class. All and right. then anything other, any other questions, I'm here, mm -hmm. you know, and so we could talk casually about it. So I knew that they understood what was out there, mm -hmm. how to protect themselves, um, and then any of the personal, more personal questions or, you know. We could go there. We could go there, We yeah. could go there, I appreciate it. My grandmother, uh, I have a memory of her, she she got me a book. Uh -huh. I came from a family, yeah, like, here's a book. Here's a like, book. we're not gonna talk about, yeah. but here's a book. She got me a book that was actually pretty great. Right. Um, and she saw me looking at it one day and it mentioned Roman soldiers and like how they often like were gay and right. would fight to impress one another. She took that book back. <laughs> She's like, like oh, okay. One. Yeah, a little yeah. too much. But but something else I've noticed is that you're a wonderful listener. Mm -hmm. You know, having these conversations, you know, sometimes there's a revelation. Right. Right. And and understandably, you kind of want to jump in and wait a minute, you right. know, and react. But I think you you model a way to, particularly with Willow, right, to, to hear what she's saying, to take it in. Oh, yeah. um, how, where does that come from? Have you always just been good at, at listening? processing, sitting back? Um, that's a good question. I don't know if I've always been good mm -hmm. at that. But I do know that I had to learn to be good at it. Okay. Because I realized it was just something that my children needed. Mm. Um, and how they would thrive off of me simply hearing them. Mm -hmm. I also want to go back to that book you were talking okay. about yeah. because I actually think that is also a beautiful way to introduce um, body mm -hmm. parts and sex okay. with books. I did that with Willow, okay. body parts. Mm -hmm. This is your body and this is what we do, you know, mm -hmm. and you sit there and you read it together and you're like, oh, and this is how you take care of your body. She's mm -hmm. like, oh, 
mommy, that is so cool. So you can do this, you know, and then yeah. that can that can start conversations. That can happen. So I wanted that to. That's, that's yeah. real. That's yeah. real. And it also, I think it's like a, a comfort zone. Yeah. Most people. Yeah. Most people. Absolutely. Well, something else, you know, you obviously talk about, you know, marriage mm -hmm. um, and your relationship with Will. Um, with Will. What a right. funny thing. To, uh, <laughs> but, you know, I was wondering, you know, do you... Do you have conversations with him about, like, this might come up on the show? You know, I'm willing to go here. Are you cool with me going there? Like, is there a conversation about boundaries or? No. No? I love no. It. He's like, yeah. you're like, if you want to, the boundary, you're going to have to come on. <laughs> yeah, I think with him, he pretty knows, he, he knows me. Okay. So he knows that if we're doing this, mm -hmm. we're going there. And there's not there. too much that's going to be said that he doesn't know mm -hmm. already. Mm -hmm. You know, it might be a few things, and mm -hmm. but... As a family, we've already gone through so much together. There's not too much. Even if you don't know a particular incident, mm -hmm. you've gone through one like that. Okay. So it's just like, oh, so that happened too. <laughs> There's a context. Right. I you know what I'm saying? <laughs> oh, okay, we'll add okay, this to Okay, we'll the... add that to that, you know. <laughs> um, so, yeah, he's pretty... He's pre I think the only conversation we really had about it, I just was Cherie, the Cherie show. Mm -hmm. I was like, mm -hmm. this is the first show I want to do. And he was like, oh, man, I think that's so great. Mm -hmm. So he was so down. That's wonderful. And, and, and we've talked about, and I love it. It's like, you you know, you have the conversation, and then, you know, you get to bring in viewers, and you've kind of spoken of how you learn from them. And I just, I just wondered, just thinking bigger picture, you know, um, has the show impacted the conversations you just have with people in general? Like, do you find, I'm just ready to go there with everybody and everybody's not always so ready? Well, or... everybody's ready to go there with me. Okay. <laughs> it seems like that's my, I'm just like, well, but you know, I'm, I'm kind of used to that too, because even before the Red Table Talk, people would always, there was just, you know, a certain comfort level okay. that, that people would have in, in speaking to me, but now it's just full on, like, oh my goodness, I saw this, and okay. you know how Zero I feel to about 100. this. Zero to 100, wow. which is pretty awesome, mm -hmm. you know? I just have to always make sure I, I'm full of energy when <laughs> <laughs> I go out to the world. Ready, yeah, just, I love Usa. it. But well, yeah, it's, it's, been, it's been pretty awesome. So cool. Well, Jada, thank you so much for joining us. And, and again, for this, this project, because I think it's, it's an offering, it's important to see black women and black families having these conversations. I, I agree with you. And as we definitely were thinking about culture mm -hmm. as well when we decided to do this project. It's, it's yeah. beautiful and right on time. Thank, Thank you, you so much, friends. You can watch the new episode of Red Table Talks Monday on Facebook. Talk about it, join the conversation. That's right. We want to hear from you. We want to hear from you. All right, more AM to DM in a moment. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you, I appreciate it. Thanks. Motivation brought to you by Belvita Breakfast Biscuits. Whether you're fresh out of school or looking to make a change, applying to jobs is stressful. Elise Kalish is an editor at The Muse and is here to help keep our heads up. Hey, how's Hi, it going? Good, how are you? <laughs> okay, so we got a tweet first from Tucker Stanley who tweeted, congrats to all the college grads. Now you'll learn that the degree doesn't have three to five years of experience, which you'll also need to get a job. That's kind of bleak, but <laughs> it's job hunting season. Obviously, a lot of people just graduated. So who? how do you get around kind of the despair narrative around job searching? Yeah, um, so I think 
you have to sort of tackle job searching. You have to make it fun, right? I think at the end of the day, it's not going to be a fun task. So how can you make it exciting for you? Um, I think the first step is really figuring out like what do you want in your career, um, and that's going to help you pave the way for the rest of your job search. So um, if you think about um, sort of what is exciting for you to do on a day-to-day -day basis, um, you know, what are the kinds of companies you want to work for? Um, that'll sort of help you show that enthusiasm and excitement in your interviews, and that'll ultimately make it a lot easier to sort of transition into a role that's right for you. Yeah, I mean, having a good attitude about everything, I feel like, is always good. Definitely. Uh, Clara, you tweeted, applying to a full-time job is a full-time job for real. Yeah, that's pretty true. How much time per day should you spend searching, do you think? Yeah, so it really depends on sort of where you are. Um, so if you're, you're fresh out of college, you know, you have sort of the summer to sort of job search, um, I would say sort of treat it like a full-time job. Um, like really make sure that um, you're spending the time, you know, doing your research, you know, tailoring your cover letter and resume, um, really spending that time, you know, getting informational interviews, meeting with people, um, you know, using all that free time you have. You know, of course, if you have a job, um, you might want to cut that down to around eight to 10 hours hours and really focusing on using your weekends and also your evenings to sort of do the job search. Yeah, I would also say, I don't know, in my opinion, I think you should kind of play to your own strengths. I know for myself, I really work well under pressure. Yeah. So for me, just sitting around and having all day to do my job hunt was just made it mean that I just watched like the entire show of Dexter. Exactly. Um, <laughs> so, you know, if you, you know, if you work under pressure, I think maybe only say I'm going to do this from XYZ to XYZ and then I don't know. Do you think that's good advice? Definitely. I think, I mean, again, sort of going back to the full-time job aspect, you know, set yourself work hours, right? You yes. know, say from like 11 to 4, you're going to job search every day. And then before and after that, you can enjoy your summer, you can enjoy your time away. Um, so, you know, again, sort of giving yourself those set hours makes it a lot easier because you know that there's going to be a beginning and end point. Especially if you have time to kind of take away from that, then, you know, you won't be just be sitting around thinking about how sad you are that you don't have a job. Exactly. <laughs> okay, so next we're moving on to networking, which obviously is a good place to find a job, but I hate it. I think a lot of people hate it, especially if they're introverts. Um, how do you network when you are so new into the job force? How do you find a network? Totally. Um, so I think it's a combination of people you know and people you don't know. Um, so obviously, if you're a new grad, you know, looking at your alumni network, you know, people that went to school with you or people who graduated a few years after you, you know, reaching out to them on LinkedIn and sending a personalized message like, "Hi, I noticed you work for XYZ company. I love the work that you're doing. You know, any chance you'd want to meet for coffee?" Um, and then again, it's sort of using that to also reach out to people that are a little bit outside your network. So um, you know, doing a little bit of research on LinkedIn, on social media, um, looking at company. Teams team pages and seeing for hiring managers um, and sort of reaching out to those people and being like, I love the work that you're doing. You know, I noticed your article or your news segment um, and I'd love to talk with you, even if it's just 15 minutes over the phone or 30 minutes um, in like a coffee date or something like that. Um, really not being afraid to reach out to people because people love talking about themselves. They love talking about their jobs. Um, they want to, you know, give you the advice. They want to help you in your career. So not being afraid to give that ask, you know? Yeah, for yeah. sure. For sure. Amal tweeted, interviews make me so damn nervous. I hate the risk of rejection. I think that's a hard thing for a lot of people to get past. I think a lot of people get stuck on, they have maybe one good interview and they don't get the job or they're too afraid to put themselves out there. So what are some good ways to get past the risk of rejection? Because if you apply to jobs, you're going to not get some jobs. 
exactly. that you really want to. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I think rejection is part of a job search, um, but it ultimately, again, makes you stronger. Um, so the biggest thing is preparing, you know, making sure that you're practicing your answers to um, various interview questions, um, practicing your elevator pitch, you know, how do you talk about your career? How do you talk about your skill set? Um, really practicing that in front of a mirror with a friend, getting critiques, stuff like that. Um, and then I think really treating interviews like a conversation. At the end of the day, you're interviewing them just as much as they're interviewing you. Um, so making sure that it's a right fit for both of you um, and really, you know, just trying to engage with the person and get to know what it's like to work there and also showing them that you're the right fit ultimately. Yeah. And just, I mean, everyone gets rejected for a job. So just know it's part of the process and eventually the right thing's going to come along, I think is a good tip. Exactly. And I think a lot of people actually forget to follow up after rejection. I think that's a great way to sort of keep your name like in the running. God, for if you ever want to like reply later on in life, um, I think the best thing you can do if you do get rejected from a job is email the person back and be like, hi, I loved interviewing with you. Um, please let me know if there are any other openings. I'm really excited to follow all of that work that you're doing. And that really keeps you like sort of keeps your network warm and makes the person think of you if any other jobs open up down the road. That's actually great advice. I actually <laughs> did that at BuzzFeed. True, true, real story, real story. <laughs> uh, so amazing. yeah, you know. Rejection's not the last thing, you know. I, I think I got rejected for two jobs at BuzzFeed before I actually got a job here. <laughs> and it worked out, so that's all you it need. It definitely worked out. <laughs> Elise, thank you so much for joining me today. We want to hear some career motivation from you. Do you have any advice that helped you? Did you finally land your dream job? We want to hear about it. Let us know using the hashtag AMCDM. When we come back, Isaac and Katie Natopoulos are talking about how annoying social media is. Are we going to do like an hour on that? We all have those little things about social media that drives us nuts. So, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat, not LinkedIn. Listen up, because we've got some complaining to do. Katie Natopoulos, senior editor at BuzzFeed News and the people's champion on social media, is here to talk about all of our biggest grievances. Mm -hmm. How are you doing, Katie? I'm very good. Yeah? Yeah. You're, you're, you're very good, but I'm, like a little I'm, peeved. I'm a little peeved, but I'm, I'm jacked up. I'm jacked up on success. <laughs> you're jacked up on success. Well, let's talk about that, all right? I yeah. want to bring up this tweet. You tweeted, I will fight tirelessly <laughs> to make life on the internet slightly more tolerable mm -hmm. for all of you. This is my solemn vow. This round, <laughs> we won. And that's about a piece you uh -huh. wrote about Facebook and how they send you those annoying alerts every time you get a message. Yeah. Uh, no, not every time you get a message. So I'm sorry, every time every, you yeah. connect with a friend. So you've probably experienced this. You add someone as a friend on mm -hmm. Facebook. They add you back. You get a little notification in the like little friends box. Usually says, where it's like yeah, somebody like, likes something. Yeah. No, no, there's a separate one. It's yeah. the ones for just for friends. You don't see that often because you probably don't get that many requests like every day or anything. But it says like, congrats, so-and-so accepted your request. And then immediately afterwards, you get a notification in Messenger that you have a new message. And the message just says, you and Isaac are now connected on Messenger. And it's like, I know, we just became <laughs> friends. Like why, are, this isn't like, this is terrible. Um, and everyone hates this. Mm -hmm. This is a very annoying thing. It, it seems like such a useless notification that it's also just like a craven ploy to get people to like check Messenger and try to use it more often. It doesn't seem like it is. Well, so I, I wrote an article about how annoying it is and how this is actually like kind of the worst thing about Facebook. Now, I'm not talking about these things of like, 
the actual interactions you have with humans and the broader concept of what social media is doing to our lives. I'm talking about these very specific teeny little user experience features mm -hmm. like notifications that you don't need, a button that's in the wrong place that you accidentally hit, like something that doesn't make sense, something that's hidden, like things like that that are weirdly like, they're so fixable. The minutia, so, so I do yeah. wanna, so you came out with that article and then Facebook changed their policy, right? Facebook came out and said, you know what, we're actually scaling back on those, you are now connected to messenger notifications because we know that people don't like them. Katie Natopoulos making real change. You also wrote this story back in February, Instagram is telling people if you screenshot their story in a test, and people freaked out, mm -hmm. and Instagram just recently announced that they're no longer going through with that. Can you claim that win too? I, well, again, it, 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 they started out as a small test. So it was only a small group of users were able to know if someone screenshotted their stories. Personally, I love screenshotting stories because I know that unlike Snapchat, like no one knows, and then I can like text it to my friends and be like, oh my God, did you see this? Like, well, that's weird. Um, I'm but, now just so you know, <laughs> super paranoid that you talk trash about it. Don't worry, all I've the never time. done it to you. Mm, okay. um, <laughs> but I think that this was a feature that people did not want. And it was also particularly scary because you didn't know who had it and who didn't. Um, and so I, this was maybe back in February, they announced they were doing this test. I was very against this. I was like, oh boy. And I was always like, I gotta check back and see what's the status of this test. Like, what's going on? And so we, we asked recently and they were like, yeah, we stopped it. Like, we decided it was not a feature people wanted. And like, you know, probably their own testing showed that like to claim it. Take a little credit for it, Katie, and I love that. It's like they're actually listening. And let's talk about mm -hmm. some of the other minutia, mm -hmm. some of the things that people hate. Dame Judy Drench tweeted, mm -hmm. I hate how Snapchat sends a notification that someone is typing. Like, I only care if I have Snap open and I'm actively chatting. Why do we need a notification? It's so rude. Like, if you type something and delete it, it rats you out. Do you think you're gonna be able to change this? You know, I think that they're it's a good question because there's some features where you can guess that behind the scenes Snapchat has a very, you know, thought out reasoning for why this exists. It's maybe like a feature of people, there's some people who actually really like it because they want to know if the other person's responding. Maybe it is like a mind game that keeps you on the edge of your seat and makes you feel like Snapchat is like the most important app. Or maybe like there is no kind of rationale and they're like, actually, if people don't like this, let's get rid of it. Huh. So I don't know, could go anyway. You think it could go either way. All right, yeah. here's a tweet we can all agree on. Mm -hmm. Morgan said, the only thing we've ever wanted from any social media platform is chronological feeds. That's it, that's all we've ever wanted. Uh, Katie, are you gonna take up this fight? Um, I have to say, I am, I know I'm, a little bit alone here, but I firmly believe in the non-chronological feed. What? I, especially on Instagram. I think if they switched back, people would be miserable. They would realize that every time they opened the app, like five minutes later, they were seeing the exact same stuff they just saw. And it, you know how it used to be, like you would scroll back and you would see like everything that happened in like the last eight hours. Yeah. And then if you want to open it again an hour later, you have to scroll all the way down to back, you know, to like go to see past nine hours. So I think that people actually like being able to see new stuff every time they open it. And it also like, part of it is like, yeah, you actually do want to see the stuff from the people you care about more or mm. the pictures that are the like important pictures that lots of people are liking. And when it's chronological, it's easy to miss those. Katie, I have held you up as the people's champion and here <laughs> you are my most, like that's for me what the biggest I issue. And you are saying that the social media companies are getting it right. 
I would say that if you don't like the algorithm, they're not doing the algorithm right. Mm. But I do think that chronological is not the answer. I'm a cuck to the algorithm. I admit it. <laughs> I love it. Like I, I think that it's. I think that people are annoyed by some part of it. Uh -huh. But it's not that it's not chronological. That's not the solution. All right. My feeling. We're gonna agree to disagree on this, Katie. But listen, she is the people's champion. She is out here fighting the big social media companies. If you have some minutia, if you have something that you hate. At Katie Natopoulos, Tell me. let her know, and she will take up your fight, unless it's the chronological thing. <laughs> um, and let us know, what annoying media feature do you want to see eliminated? Use the hashtag aim to dm When we come right back, me and Saeed are reading your tweets. So much is happening. What pisses you off about social media? Like, what's, what's, <laughs> what's one little minutia that you would fix? Uh, that was really, I was like, I didn't know where that was about to go. Mm. Um, that's a good question. What pisses me off? I don't mind the timeline thing so much anymore. Um, I guess what like what what she was, um, what Katie pointed to, like redundant notifications. Mm -hmm. As someone who's on my phone all the time and constantly monitoring things, like I don't need several pings to, like I know what's up, girl, mm -hmm. you know? Absolutely. But I don't use Facebook anymore. Interesting. Mm, no. See, because that would be one of my complaints too, would be pointing at Facebook. It's like, there's the people you know yeah. thing. And it's oh like, God, that's annoying. It's like Facebook, God, man, there's a reason yeah. why we're not. And since I stopped, oh, this is annoying. Since I stopped using Facebook, I keep getting like every occasional reminders from Instagram um, that's like, log into your Facebook. And I'm like, no, I don't need to. It's like, so I'm hey, fine. <laughs> don't you forget about me. Yeah, no, oh, I forgot. <laughs> so anyway, uh, let's talk about, but there's so much going on on the timeline. Mm -hmm. And I see like Jeff Sessions is wilding out as his Christian. Anyway, we're gonna talk about Beyonce. Mm. Sage the timeline one more time. Cindy Van Hull, you said Beyonce and Jay-Z should film at all seven wonders of the world for their next video, not just limit it to one place. That's awesome. Ooh. Do all seven wonders of the world still exist? See, in my head, I thought it was, no, yeah, it's seven, it's seven. Cause people will say you're the eighth wonder of the world. I get it, so yeah, it's seven. Oh, I, yeah, I think there's like, there's a hanging gardens. Are the, are the, the pyramids. That's what I was, I was like, there's a pyramid. Still with us? Yeah, <laughs> let us know. Use the hashtag aim to dm What are the seven wonders of the world? Please let us know. Uh, Ashley C. Ford, you said, <laughs> I would love to see Bay and Jay do a reclamation of Black Wall Street in Tulsa, Oklahoma. That is a brilliant idea. It is actually. a brilliant idea. Because the history of Black Wall Street and the way it aligns with, you know, mm -hmm. capitalism, as they, as they they do love to celebrate. Um, no, but that would be really fierce. I also like that I read it as Bay. I like stick to Bay, even though I've heard technically you're supposed to be saying B. You know, it's been a long morning and I have dragged Isaac so much. So I'm just gonna. Do you say B? I just say Beyonce. I think I say B. I don't know. He used to say B. Keep it going. Oh, I see. You were trying to set up. A... All right. Anyway, well, here's what uh, Rachel Hay Groville had to say about um, CEO Stephanie Lampkin. Um, wonderful conversation with Stephanie. Uh, tech companies are all about d disrupting, except with getting diversity in the industry. Mm. We say it all the time on the show. How is it 2018? Mm -hmm. How is it 2018? And this is what we're talking about. We know how. So many firsts. We know how. That's right. We ain't new to the game. Anyway, Anyway, thank you to all of our guests this morning. Jada Pinkett Smith. Mm, that was a great conversation. Heidi Herrera, Hayes Brown, Paul Heidi reading you down. That was really funny. Paul, it's all coming back to me now. Paul, <laughs> Stephanie Lampkin, um, Alice Kellish, and Katie Natopoulos. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much, Katie. That's it, guys. Monday, get through it. Good luck. We'll see you back here tomorrow, 10 a.m. Listen to that album one I'm more time. Take a nap. It's now on all streaming platforms, <laughs> not just title. Good luck.